Hi, this is Saurabh Joshi from Stratpost.com. Welcome to this edition of the Stratpost podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the new fighter acquisition process of the Indian Air Force that is expected to begin on July 6th. As we reported on Wednesday, with confirmation from Airbus and Dassault, all six of the aircraft from the earlier medium multi-role combat aircraft contest will be offered by their manufacturers to the Indian Air Force. Boeing will be offering the FA-18 Super Hornet Block 3. United Aircraft Corporation of Russia will be pitching the MiG-35. Lockheed Martin is offering the F-16 Block 70 and Sweden Saab is pitching the Gripen E. Airbus will be proposing the Eurofighter Typhoon and Dassault is offering the Rafale. India withdrew an earlier tender for fighter aircraft in 2015 and ordered 36 Rafale fighters. India's defence budget has been subjected to criticism for being too low after the Parliamentary Standing Committee on Defence published a report recently on the subject. The Indian Air Force appears no longer interested in the fifth-generation fighter aircraft that was to be co-developed with the Russians. It has also placed orders for the indigenous light combat aircraft, but there have been questions raised about its cost recently. I have with me Angad Singh and Pushan Das, both well-known commentators on Indian air power. Thanks for coming in, guys. So, Angad, let me start with you. Are we really doing this all over again? Um, apparently. <laughs> How badly does the Indian Air Force need new fighters? I would say that it's a pressing concern. It's not one of those things that we can hand wave away again and again. Um, and we've already kicked that can down the road once with the failed MMRCA. Uh, 36 uh, Rafale was a step uh, towards meeting the Air Force's requirements, but obviously not enough because the original requirement was projected at 126 aircraft. So, um, yeah, we, we do need to get into this uh, again, but uh, uh, the hows and, and wherefores of, of how that breaks down is, is, is what we're here to discuss. And Pushan, how much of this is going to be a cost issue? The MMRCA had shortlisted the two most expensive fighters. We have a stressed defense budget. Is it wise to run a contest to run, compare all six fighter aircraft all over again? Uh, former Defense Minister Manohar Parikar had decided that India would focus only on single-engine fighters. And yet we now have a contest that is apparently open to all six again. Saurabh, one of the reasons why we went down the single-engine route in the first place was to cut costs. There wasn't enough money in the defense budget to cater for 126 of the twin-engine fighter aircraft that the Indian Air Force wanted in the form of the MMRCA. So to go down the same route again, now in retrospect after two years, again opens up a whole box, uh, a Pandora's box, so to speak, of cost issues, life cycle costs. Can we even afford this uh, at this stage of the defense budget? And how much is geopolitics going to matter in all this? I think it's going to be a major factor because at the end of the day, depending on which fighter that the Indian Air Force chooses out of these six, the government will have to make a geopolitical decision. Do we want to be seen as a country which produces American fighter aircraft? Or given the current situation with China, or do we want to be seen producing a Gripen, which is, let's say, politically more neutral? So these are considerations that the government will have to make beyond the technical requirements that the Indian Air Force has laid out. Angad, all six manufacturers are competing again. This is after a failed decade-long process. Uh, what does this say about the potential size of the Indian defense market? Or is this has this more to do with their own compulsions? 
Um, look, when we go shopping, when India goes shopping, it tends to be uh, in volumes and values that no one else really tends to match, um, with perhaps the exception of uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, so there is a there is a market size uh, compulsion uh, certainly, but uh, you know this is one of my pet peeves uh, is that we do have an objectively dysfunctional uh, procurement process, and it's one that uh, foreign OEMs continue to reward over and over again. Uh, with their participation and um, it is a it is a process that is that that needs reform and that's obviously not going to come from within uh, because we've had ample opportunity to try that um, and yet if if foreign OEMs want an easier ride in India and they want to force that reform um, I mean I feel there should be a degree of, of uh, uh, perhaps uh, high-handedness uh, and they do it they do it in other in other uh, procurements all over the world uh, the Swedes declined to bid for the Belgian fighter RFI. Uh, Boeing, in their home country, decided not to bid for the U.S. Navy's uh, over-the-horizon cruise missile program uh, because they felt the requirements just, you know, they weren't gelling with their with their product. And uh, uh, it was it wasn't it, there was a cost-benefit uh, analysis there that didn't work out in the company's favor. And I feel that if we keep running these processes over and over again, we're going to hit that cost-benefit, uh, the wrong side of that cost-benefit curve. Uh, for a lot of these foreign OEMs. What about the result? What is the point? Why are we doing this? What is the point of this new exercise? Are we expecting the same result or are we expecting a different result? Will the Air Force be compelled to ensure that, you know, we get the same result as last time, perhaps just to vindicate their process? So that's the million dollar question. And uh, we all know that the MMRCA, the original MMRCA, I don't know what we're calling this one, uh, but the original contest was... Uh, uh, was essentially uh, came apart at the seams because of the cost issue because uh, we ended up shortlisting the two highest cost options um, and there were arguments at the time made that uh, that other contenders were not technically compliant uh, which is fair uh, we, we haven't seen the results of the technical evaluations but uh, if they weren't compliant they weren't uh, but that does leave that open question about whether we will are we going to repeat the same mistakes uh, this time around and uh, just you know operating purely on on logic I would say uh, hindsight has given us that uh, uh, us being the Air Force, the MOT, the the, the system as a whole, um, every opportunity to to learn from the past mistakes, and if they are if they seem to be rerunning the same program, uh, then uh, we should hopefully get a different outcome this time. Pushan, there is one thing different about this process. It will be governed by Chapter Seven of the Defence Procurement Procedure, that mandates and prescribes strategic partnerships with Indian private industry. This has never been done before. The chapter was only published last year. How will this process be different? I think what, is, what the biggest difference that is going to be is all these six vendors will now have to make offerings, not just of fighter aircraft, not just of transfer of technology, which then Hindustan Aeronautics is going to somehow manage to reproduce back in India. All these companies now have to also help India build a strategic base for building fighter aircraft. They have to develop a whole ecosystem since this partnership is going to be in the private industry and not necessarily with Hindustan Aeronautics as the lead integrator. So that is where there'll be a lot of potential for these companies to bring a lot of value adds onto this deal. And that is also going to be one of the driving reasons as to how the government picks a particular vendor. So if you look at the F-16, one of their biggest pitches is not only are you going to be building fighters for India, after the production, your production run is done, you are going to be able to export this product 
to other emerging markets which require fourth generation aircraft the swedes are doing the same uh, they already have a running partnership uh, in brazil where they're building fighter aircraft and they want to do the same thing so what oems are now going to do will have to do in fact is make a very compelling case on how they will help build an indian military aerospace ecosystem so to speak and that'll be one of the key drivers in this deal anga do you want to get in on this uh yeah just to be the voice of caution uh, we don't know what the rfp will state the rfi has gone out and that was a public document the rfp will not be a, a public document um and so we don't know how how difficult uh, but the rfi has been quite detailed as well right it has but that's that's the nature of the rfi the rfp will then distill those details down into something that's um, actionable as as a contract and we don't know how different the rfp will be uh, this time around from what we had uh, in the last round uh, that's that's the first thing i want to just highlight and then we have uh, we have multiple compulsions when we do a deal like this there's of course the the basic sort of force accretion uh, issue where you want to uh, up the air force's strength by 100 odd aircraft uh, but you get into this make in india local manufacture uh, manufacturing uh, thing when you want to uh generate jobs generate value um or simply build uh, an industrial capability that that can support current and future aerospace projects uh the rfp will decide which of these three they're not necessarily competing objectives but they don't all pull in the same direction so the rfp will decide which direction will be given the most weightage uh if it's a simple uh, say for secretion uh project uh they might uh you know reduce the t- uh, the technology transfer uh requirements they might reduce the job creation requirements and focus on something that uh, essentially uh, replicates a sort of a final assembly model that allows us to procure these aircraft at the lowest cost and then minimizes our through life sustainment because we pick up a production uh, maintenance kind of technology not necessarily the deep aircraft building technology uh, on the other hand if this is supposed to be an industrially enabling program then uh, the cost takes a bit of a back seat and you can you can spend more on dot you can spend more on local production and so on and and the jobs uh, therefore follow is there any scope for marrying the and i want to put this to both of you is there any scope for marrying the indian navy requirements with those of the indian air force the navy has a requirement for 57 aircraft four of the mmrca six are contenders for the navy contest do you think i mean I'm just putting it out there. Uh, nobody's really talking about this because it seems to be a bit of an awkward issue. But is the is it possible? It is possible, but I don't think um that that's how the procurement should be run. I don't think the uh, I I don't think either procurement uh should be should be really keeping the other in its mind uh barring the point where if they select similar aircraft uh then the government can sort of step in and take a call and say let's you know let's pick one or the other and and try and dovetail these two together like they've uh, tried to do with the abortive uh, c295 program where the air force is buying them as, as tactical transports and uh, the navy is supposed to then extend that production line and convert those into uh, maritime patrol aircraft uh, but uh, at the end of the day naval aircraft and and land based aircraft tend to be quite fundamentally different so trying to uh, force uh, a marriage of requirements might uh, might be counterproductive uh i i tend to disagree with angad on this one i think uh, you know the devil is in the is in the numbers in in this case if you want to make this production line financially viable 
to reap the benefits of setting up a production line in India, you know, 90 aircraft or 100 aircraft made in India just about meets the minimum requirement that you require to make that few billion dollars worth of investment to set up a production line. To make the business case. Exactly. And now to build on top of that so that the Air Force and let's say the Navy or let's say, you know, our taxpayers' money is utilized well, you want to be able to leverage that production line in significant numbers. The more you buy, the cheaper, you know, each unit cost gets. You have to order in bulk and you have to make that commitment. Now, the Air Force might want a different fighter aircraft than the Navy wants. But essentially, since four of the contenders in out of the six uh, OEMs have some version or the other of naval aircraft and same land-based aircraft, it would be a prudent idea to at least explore whether the serv- each of the services like it or not from a financial standpoint of amalgating both of them because it requires very little retooling to build either one on on the same production line and trying to make a more financially solid case for setting up this production line in the first place in India. The other thing that is sort of out there and that nobody really wants to talk about is the question of uh, fifth generation aircraft. The Indian Air Force appears to no longer be interested in the fifth generation fighter aircraft co-development project with Russia. Should the Indian Air Force skip the idea of this current fighter acquisition entirely and focus only on acquiring fifth generation aircraft given that so much time has passed and given that there could be a conceivable cost case to be made for going straight to fifth generation aircraft? Uh, by cost case, I'm assuming you're referring to the, the low flyaway costs of the F-35, well, which is the only a fifth generation well, game well in not, town. Well, not only that. I mean, I'm also referring to the fact that if you skip this acquisition, you're also, there's opportunity cost to each acquisition, right? So if you skip this acquisition, you, you actually have funds available to focus on something else. Right. So I would, uh, I would argue that there is, a, there is a time horizon for a fifth generation acquisition that's not compatible with the Air Force's force structure requirements today. Uh, so fifth generation is important. We have to, uh, we have to focus on that, uh, but as, a, as a, perhaps a near future uh, issue, not necessarily the pressing one uh, of today. Uh, and the F-35 uh, certainly could be part of that conversation um, because it is the only fifth generation game in town. Um, the Air Force has obviously evaluated the FGFA uh, as best they can without official uh, physical access to the prototypes um, and, and, and been left wanting. But uh, uh, there, is, there is a fourth generation gap in the force structure today. Uh, which needs to be addressed. How much of this competition is going to be a cost issue or a capability issue, Pushan? Cost is going to be one of the major drivers of how this deal is going to pan out. You know, like Angad previously pointed out, how much technology transfer do we want? Is this something that we've learned from the last time? I hope this is something we have learned from the last time. Yeah, definitely, hopefully. (laughs) You know, how much technology transfer do we want? How much of this plane do we... actually want to be indigenously built in India? Do we just want to build, let's say, the structure of the plane out here and let some of the key expensive electronics, which are built by very niche companies, still be built wherever it is that they're built and not rebuild those capabilities in-house at huge cost? So these are decisions that the government, the Air Force, will have to take. 
but yes cost is going to be a major driver you know you we all know there's hardly any money for defense procurements i mean you know we've come to a point where the army is having to scale down purchasing uh, a basic infantry weapon we wanted some 600000 or 700000 and the army now has said well because to drive down costs we'll just get 200 something or 1000 to equip the infantry battalions and the rest will keep on using the old infantry weapons issue weapons so cost is going to be a major driver so l1 with the maximum number of capabilities will be something that the government will be looking forward to from the air but, force but we had l1 last time as well but l1 between two of the most expensive competitors two of the most expensive aircraft it completely sends the pro- process off track it sends it to a stalemate exactly and i completely agree with you and hopefully the air force will have learned its lesson that i'm not going to pick the two most expensive and capability filled platforms and present it to the government for um, uh, decision making versus i'm going to pick let's say the top two aircraft which give me a f- capabilities that i want at an affordable cost part of the problem is that until the opening of the commercial bids we have no idea nobody has any idea how much an order for a certain number of this particular aircraft or that particular aircraft would cost the country you have no idea in the way that you have an rfp which places a minimum technical capability limit on the platforms under consideration would it not be wise to also place a maximum expenditure limit so we have those uh, they called acceptances of necessity and the sad reality is that they are entirely divorced from reality so uh, that's the fundamental problem it's not that there is no cost estimation going on it's that the cost estimation is is absolutely bonkers what was the acceptance of uh, necessity figure for the last contest i might be wrong on this but if i recall correctly it was 11 billion dollars Uh, for 126 aircraft right which you would be hard pressed uh, to hit that figure if you simply bought bare aircraft from the OEM without any local production just the aircraft no weapons no support packages nothing you would probably struggle to hit 11 billion dollars uh, we've paid uh, closer to uh, what 8 9 billion for the uh, for 36 rafal so i mean that just shows how how wildly optimistic the the AONs are but AONs have built in escalation calculations in their entire formulation for catering for inflation and 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 then there's benchmarking that right. happens later but on but if your baseline is is completely off then then you know every every calculation that takes that into account is going to be uh, is going to be a mess so if if that is the case that appears to indicate that acceptance of necessity is not really imposing a hard and fast upper cap on expenditure not in enforceable terms but in psychological terms it does because you you issue an AON for 11 billion and an OEM comes to you with a quote for 25 billion and uh, that sticker shock basically uh, jolts the entire process to a halt uh, so there's no enforceable limit on uh, on 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 the cost ceiling uh, but there is there is an effective one which is to say a bureaucrat opens a file sees a number that's 2 3 times what uh, what was uh, forecast and that's it that that deals uh, in a, in a guaranteed tailspin the loser ultimately ends up being the indian armed forces the services because you've spent 10 years on this process and you have nothing to show for it absolutely which is why i mean i began this whole thing by saying i sincerely hope that this uh, this entire process will be run differently from the last one even though we have uh, much the same requirements and we have the same six contenders uh, the hope is that it's not just the air force that Uh, sets realistic targets and uh, and evaluates the aircraft realistically, but also that uh, the MOD and 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 the people that are in charge of the financial powers 
uh, understand what uh, something like this is going to cost uh, in realistic terms. Pushan, I want to come back to you on the politics bit. In such a situation, how is this fight or contest, how do you see it being played out? Will it be different from the setting that the MMRCA was played out in? Look, I mean, the political climate has changed quite a bit. I mean, if you look at uh, what's been happening very recently, the cancellation of the 2 plus 2, the looming threat of having some of the CATSA sanctions uh, imposed on us because, you know, India wants to buy S-300s or 400s from Russia, and a whole lot, you know, our relationship with Iran. I do not think that this administration would be too keen on moving forward on any big major defense thing until India at least accedes to some of its uh, demands. So that may be a factor, but I don't think that is going to be a factor right now in the uh, in the tendering process or the testing and evaluation process. This process actually kicks in and, you know, if you go by Indian bureaucratic standards, in about another five, six years' time, when Trump might not even be in power. So that's when the government-to-government conversation is going to happen. That, hey, we have picked the F-16, we now want to shift our production line to India, and that conversation is going to start. So I I, I hope that, uh, you know, the ground realities of foreign, uh, of both our foreign policies change by that time. Uh, but I don't think that conversation is something that we're going to have right now in the next one or two years. Okay, so since we're talking about time, let's, both of you, I want to hear from you. What are you putting your money on in terms of timelines? When do you see this actually moving towards a real order? This is just our own estimates. Yeah. I'll say six years to contract award. If it happens, six years. I would uh, easily go with seven to eight years. Why are you? <laughs> why are you more pessimistic? I mean, Anger is is, is the, usually the most cynical person in the room. But why are you most more pessimistic? See, the Air Force is now going to take its own sweet time to do the uh, you know the evaluations and everything else. You're going into an election cycle next year. How much is that going to matter? Do you think? I think uh, history has shown us that no government which is going into an election year wants to sign any big deals. There isn't enough time for that anyway. I mean, it's less than a year away now. But does it matter which political party comes to power next time? I I think it will matter. By the time this whole tendering process is done and the money has been allocated for it and all the nitty-gritties of this deal have been hammered out and another five years have passed or six years have passed, you're coming to the next election cycle, not 2019. I'm talking about 2023-2024 and that time no government will be willing to sign a big deal which is worth 20-25 billion dollars right before election. So you go into the next cycle after that. So I would be pessimistic and I would say 7-8 to years before we see anything being signed concrete. So both of you agree that it will be two prime ministers from now whose government will conclude this order? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Angad and Pushan, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having us. Thanks. We hope you found this discussion useful. Do send in your comments below or find us on Twitter. Stratpost is the handle on Twitter. Angad goes by the handle Zone5Aviation. That's a numeric 5 in there. And Pushan's moniker is Pushan3012. Thanks again for listening.